This is TechSnap, episode 360. Welcome to TechSnap, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly systems network and administration podcast. We recorded this episode on March 20th, 2018. It's brought to you by our three great sponsors, DigitalOcean, Ting, and iX Systems. I'll tell you more as the show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining me every single week is my co-host, the builder, the creator, and the presenter, Mr. Payne, Mr. Wes Payne. Hello, Wes. Hello, Chris. Well, Wes, our warm-up story this week is one that just might make you some money. That's right. Microsoft's now offering a short-term bug bounty program for new speculative execution side channel vulnerabilities. This is good through December 31st, 2018. If you can come up with a new category of speculative execution attack, of which Spectre and Meltdown were the first known examples, that could get you up to $250,000. All right. Now, there's a couple other lower tiers here. If you find a speculative execution mitigation bypass on Azure, that's worth 200K. If you find one of those in Windows, that's also 200K. If you find an instance of a known speculative execution vulnerability in Windows 10 or Microsoft Edge, and it enables the disclosure of sensitive information across a trust boundary, 25K. Mm, so you see, the real money is new categories of speculative execution attacks. That's where you get the 250,000. And then they're like, okay, Azure, that's where we're also willing to pay, so you get 200,000. But boy, does that drop off when you get to Edge. It gets down to 25,000. I mean, I'd be happy with any of those. But it's a, that's a pretty big, that's like a $200,000 difference. It's interesting, too, to see that they're, you know, it, it is it is time boxed, but I still think it's, it's a great move. And it, I, I imagine they're trying to get all of these that they can out in the open as quickly as possible so that as an industry, we can try to, you know, design and move past this as much as possible. Yeah, that's exactly it. I read on their TechNet article about this, that essentially this is a whole new category of attack the way they look at it. And they don't know how deep this rabbit hole goes. And so they're hoping to incentivize people to contribute their discoveries to the public instead of Hoard them, essentially. Speaking of Microsoft, they've just announced a preliminary fix for an RDP vulnerability present in all supported versions of Windows. The flaw affects the Credential Security Support Provider, or CRED SSP, which is used in all instances of Windows Remote Desktop Protocol, or RDP, and of course their Remote Management Protocol, WinRM. Yeah, supposedly this is particularly an issue uh, if you're on Wi-Fi networks, you become subject to a man-in-the-middle attack. If you'd like to find out more, you can look up CVE 2018-0886. Security researchers at Preempt were responsible for the discovery. They disclosed it last August to Microsoft, and since then, Microsoft's been working on a patch. You can go try out the preliminary patch, make sure that it's going to work on your systems, and stay tuned for a final version. While we're talking about Microsoft, they used to own Expedia, Orbitz does now, and they have a bit of bad news. They have confirmed in a statement that they've identified and remediated a data security incident affecting a legacy travel booking system, aka the Expedia system. According to the statement, the company found evidence in March that the attacker had access to the company's legacy systems between October and December of last year. During that time, the hackers accessed customer data for the previous two years, so from January 2016 all the way to December 2017. That data included names, dates of birth, postal, and email addresses, gender, and payment card information. Orbit said that about 880,000 payment cards are affected by this hack. They are working on notifying impacted customers and partners. And of course, if you're one of those, they'll offer you one year of complimentary credit monitoring. 
Bug claims that for nine years, Mozilla's been using insufficiently strong encryption mechanisms for their master password feature. This is coming up again after Vladimir Palant, the author of the Adblock Plus extension, did some digging in the source code and noticed that master password feature is a bit weak and can easily be brute forced. Let's back up and explain what the master password is and why that is important. Sure, so both Firefox and Thunderbird allow users to set up a master password. When you do this, it plays a role in the encryption key that is used to encrypt each password that you use when you save passwords in the application. So if you've saved your login information for a particular site, the master password is used to create an encryption key that actually encrypts that password. So what did the Adblock developer extension discover? So after digging into the source code, he found the sftkdb password to key function that converts the website password into an encryption key by applying the sha1 hash function to a string consisting of a random salt and your actual master password now anyone who's ever designed a login function on a website will probably see that there are some red flags hmm. in particular in this implementation the sha1 function has an iteration count of just one. So it's only applied once, while some standard best practices in the industry regard at least 10,000 as a solid minimum for right. this value. Holy smokes. Some applications like LastPass or other dedicated password managers use values as high as 100,000. So one, it's a bit low. I see. So the issue is this low iteration count makes it super easy for an attacker to brute force the master password, which would then, once you've done that, give you access to all of the passwords, correct? Exactly. This is made worse by recent advances in GPU card technologies and other dedicated ASIC systems that are used for exactly this use case. So it's not a great time. Like we started, this isn't particularly unknown. This is bug 524403, which was submitted nine years ago. Updated as of five hours ago, though. Yeah, it really seems here that, you know, it's it's been somewhat of a known issue, but maybe not known to a wide array of people. In particular, it's not like Firefox had been designed from the ground up to be a secure password manager. A lot of these features just sort of grew as the product grew. They are working on a new system. In the meantime, I would recommend one, just for any system that relies on a master password, that's where all the real strength is. Make sure you use a really good high entropy master password. Even though you're still vulnerable, vulnerable to brute force, that would help you here. Or go use a dedicated password manager facility. When the Adblock Plus developer contacted Mozilla about this, they kind of took a little bit, but eventually got back to him and said, well, check out Lockbox. This is an extension we're developing to particularly address this problem. So I went and dug up the Lockbox extension. It's a simple standalone password manager right now that works with just Firefox for desktop. And Mozilla says it's the first of several planned experiments designed to help them test and improve password management. It definitely sounds experimental. If you want to try it out, though, I'll have a link in the show notes, techsnap.systems slash 360 for that guy. ixsystems.com slash techsnap. Go there to support the show and learn more about iX Systems. It's great hardware with great service, but let's be honest, great hardware isn't enough. To really make the most of your resources, you need software that can analyze and optimize for your infrastructure. 
from moment to moment. IX Systems is ready to help and assist in developing and deploying complex systems so that you can get the most out of every possible deployment. With white glove service, custom-built infrastructure designed for exactly what you need, and professional installation is also available. Go to ixsystems.com techsnap to engage with them and develop the perfect solution for your small office, large enterprise, or anything in between. IX Systems has the perfect solutions. If you're deploying open source technology, then you know open source operating systems are extremely flexible in what you can do with them. They allow for unique layouts and customizations that will make their use easier and more efficient, but configuring them to your specifications is where the expertise at IX Systems can come in. ixsystems.com slash techsnap. Recently on the show, we've talked about how DNS rebinding attacks can exploit unauthenticated JSON RPC services that are listening on a local host client. If you're not familiar with a DNS rebinding attack, go check out TechSnap 353 for more information. But a quick summary, the basic idea is normally JavaScript is prevented from accessing arbitrary resources, and this usually protects your local machine and your local network from JavaScript trying to access your router or from unsecured services. A DNS rebinding attack breaks this model. Once you've loaded JavaScript from an evil third-party web page, they update their DNS. So while it used to point to a public IP, suddenly the next time the browser checks, it points to localhost. And then it allows JavaScript to access any service running on your local machine. In this particular case, we're going to be looking at some Ethereum clients. This is a post that we're featuring by a self-described hacker, Travis, and he looked at three different Ethereum clients, and they have these JSON RPC services that are listening on port 8545 on localhost. And using DNS rebinding, you can then begin to communicate to port 8545 on localhost, and guess what? Take people's money. There had previously been some issues with other Ethereum clients involving cross-origin resource sharing, or cores, and this is a mechanism to allow JavaScript uh, to, to access certain resources. Some clients enabled this by default, and that was insecure. He happened to notice that in some patches there had been some comments that, you know, just disabling cores, that is actually not enough. There's still some lurking vulnerabilities here when you consider DNS rebinding, especially since most of these JSON RPC endpoints have no authentication at all. Interesting that they kind of knew this was an issue, but just didn't have time to take care of it. Yeah. He was able to hack together a, a pretty bad but working JavaScript proof of concept here in about three hours. Now, the same origin policy also restricts based on port access. So he had to set up a web server and domain running on port 8545. This looked kind of suspicious if you were just going to send it to someone like, what is this? This isn't a normal link. <laughs> he was able to use iframe. So you visit his site on port 80. It actually has an embedded hidden iframe that then makes a request to port 8545. Once that happens, he waits until, DNS, until the DNS cache times out changes DNS on the server side, and then is able to send requests to localhost. And it turns out you can do all kinds of stuff over this JSON RPC, including checking your balance and sending Ethereum. If you want to check it out yourself, he's got a proof of concept set up. Uh, you can find the link in the show notes. If you're running it there, you stay there for 60 seconds. And if you happen to be running one of these clients, you'll get an alert which contains your Ethereum address and your balance. All of the tools are out there to put things like this together. I have a sense that the TechSnap program is going to be hearing a lot more about DNS rebinding attacks because this has got to be, as they say, just the tip of the iceberg. 
these last couple of weeks, there's been a media storm around potential security flaws in AMD processors, and your TechSnap program decided to sit back and wait for some of the technical details to surface. There's plenty of places for you to catch all of the drama around the release of these vulnerabilities. Now, specifically, we're going to talk about a couple of vulnerabilities that are in the AMD PSP. AMD started incorporating the platform security processor into its chips back in 2013 as a trusted execution environment, somewhat similar to Intel's often criticized management engine. A controversial company named CTS Labs says that they have a master key class of vulnerability that allows an attacker to bypass AMD's hardware-validated boot feature and exploit the PSP coprocessor that comes with AMD's Ryzen and Epic chip lineups. Ryzen Pro and Ryzen mobile chips may also be affected, but the researchers didn't check those chips. So CTS Labs is an independent firm. They reached out to another firm to verify their findings. It's this firm that is releasing some additional technical details that we can now dive into. That firm is Trail of Bits. Uh, their CEO, Dan Guido, was given some proof-of-concept exploit code. And while we all may have some suspicions or concerns about what CTS's motives may or may not have been in the release timing here... Dan was able to say that the paper accurately describes a real threat. All of these attacks, and there are, there are four of them, Master Key, Rise and Fall, Fallout, and Chimera, they all work as described. Ah, okay. So we're talking four separate attacks, so we should make that clear. And uh, there is supposedly a research paper that will come out soon, as well as some potential uh, proof of concept code. But right now we're going by these two different uh, organizations' word. But uh, Dan Guido seems to be a reputable source, and he seems to have seen the proof of concept code and seen the technical details and been able to verify that it all works. So for the sake of argument, we're going to proceed assuming that all of this stuff is legitimate. So to, to, to walk back a little bit, as you said, um, this all kind of rests on the platform security processor, or PSP, which is a security coprocessor found on AMD CPUs. It runs applications that provide security features like, you know, TPM or secure encrypted virtualization, and it has privileged access to basically all of your computer. You know, these are those creepy coprocessors that sit outside of your actual CPU and have full access to memory and basically everything else. This isn't the first issue either. The Google Cloud security team discovered a similar issue in the AMD PSP back in September of 2017. So the PSP firmware can be updated through a BIOS update, but normally it's supposed to be cryptographically signed by AMD, right? So AMD should be the only people who can provide new updates or control the code that actually runs on these coprocessors. Physical access is generally not required and it can just be done with administrator access to the computer. So, you know, if you have admin rights on the computer, if you have signed firmware, you can update it. But the master key vulnerability bypasses the PSP signature checks to update the PSP with whatever code an attacker might want. Now, obviously, this is a big concern because generally, you know, uh, most malware detections, antivirus software, n nothing running at the normal level on the regular CPU has access to these coprocessors except through the APIs they expose. So if you can flash it with compromised firmware, there's not a lot of mitigations that you can easily do or even detect it. Right. And that's going to be persistent through a reboot of the operating system, even a reinstall of the operating system. Some of the other flaws, like Fallout and Risenfall, expose an API that the PSP has to the main operating system. They're able to abuse these APIs and then gain code execution on the PSP. So it's a different route, but basically the same result. And if you can do it at the OS level, that really opens up the fun. 
Exactly. So, okay, there are some requirements. All exploits require the ability to run an executable as admin, though you don't need physical access. Okay. Master key additionally requires issuing a BIOS update and reboot. That's the one where you're reflashing yeah. the PSP firmware. Yeah, but that's that's oh, that's the one that's really worth it. Exactly. Okay. So, talking a little bit about the impact here, um, you know, this can give someone code execution in the PSP. It has persistence then across OS reinstallation and BIOS updates. So unless you specifically reflash that chip, yeah, this attack will still work. Uh, you can then block or infect further BIOS updates or just hard brick the machine if you want to. A lot of times these coprocessors are involved in the boot sequence. And so you could just, you know, disable the machine. This also, these coprocessors often form the root of trust or enable roots of trust on the machine. So you can do things like bypass the Windows credential guard, bypass secure encrypted virtualization, bypass, bypass secure boot, or you know bypass basically any other advanced security feature that enterprises or large organizations rely on, especially for laptop systems where you may be taking this to untrusted locations. So this sounds pretty significant, but we're talking really sophisticated types of attacks. And the uh, Trail of Bits blog points out that even if the full details of the attacks were published today, attackers would still need to invest significant development efforts to build attack tools that would utilize these vulnerabilities. So it's not really like red alert panic mode yet. Right. And to add on there, these types of vulnerabilities aren't really a surprise. Similar flaws have already been found in a bunch of other similar embedded systems. They're really just the result of your normal programming flaws, unclear security boundaries, and just insufficient testing, especially since these are often, you know, very closed source, locked down, and only really reviewed by the company manufacturing them. Dio.co slash snap. DigitalOcean is simplicity at scale, a cloud computing platform that was built with simplicity at the forefront, so managing infrastructure is easy. Whether you're a beginner or a long-time expert, DigitalOcean gets out of your way so you can get right to work building, deploying, and scaling out applications faster and more efficiently. Dio.co slash snap. Get $100 credit for a limited time for new accounts when you go to Dio.co slash snap and try out their new flexible droplets. Mix and match the resources depending on what your application needs. Storage, CPU, memory. Every DigitalOcean system has SSDs. 40 gigabit connections come into those hypervisors and eight data centers all over the world. So you pick where you want to deploy, you pick the resources that you want, and now with the new flexible droplets, you build it just to meet your application needs. They have high memory, high CPU, and of course, extremely valuable systems. My favorite rig is three cents an hour. DigitalOcean.com, do.co slash snap. Thank you for going to techsnap.system slash contact for sending in your follow-up, your feedback, and your questions, or tweeting us. I'm at Chris Elias, and he's at Wes Payne, and that's what Ivan did. He says, guys, the discussion around memcrashed on the latest TechSnap left me very mad. I don't think you properly explained the issue. It wasn't really an issue with memcached itself, but with memcached being configured and open to receive and respond via UDP, which could be easily spoofed. And uh, I think we thought we had made that clear, so we just wanted to double make it double clear. Uh, if you listen to last week's episode, primarily what the issue there is, is that it's a combination of memcache servers being open to the web, responding via UDP, and network operators that aren't shutting down spoofed packets, that aren't hamping that down, which they could totally be tamping that down, but there's really just no incentive structure for them to do it. Yeah, exactly. Any public UDP service 
could be exploited like this. In this case, there were just some new tools that make it made it easy to do with Memcached, and Memcached happened to have a large payload that it sent out, so it was kind of ideal. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot of Memcached servers out there that aren't getting maintained just because of the volume of installations out there. Anytime you have this open source projects like this that get huge, huge adoption rates, there tends to be some on the trailing edge that get neglected. Right. And in this case, especially, you know, it doesn't have to be, even if you just spun it up as a test server and left it somewhere, it could participate yeah. in this attack. That, that does happen. Uh, here's a PSA as a follow-up to a TechSnap topic we've covered over the years. Chrome is officially detrusting certificates issued by Symantec starting this week. Now, this was announced back in September. We covered it then. But I, I thought you should know, if you're running a network and all of a sudden you're having some users complain about SSL errors, Chrome will identify these sites now using the legacy semantic certificate and uh, will not be trusted any further. So that is rolling out right now to Chrome users. And if your users are running Chrome and getting those updates, expect that to be hitting your network soon. Next up, we've got a letter from Ben. He's writing with some follow-up about our fail-to-ban discussion. Previously, we'd been talking about fail-to-ban and how you could maybe or maybe not tie it in with some larger systems, things like a, a DigitalOcean firewall or other cloud system. He's got a handy tip. Fail-to-ban definitely can be made to support some of these things. In particular, he points us to uh, an AWS plugin that allows you to hook fail-to-ban up with your VPC access controls. So cool. as things get blocked, you can then also block them from accessing your servers at all at the AWS level. He also mentioned in here, did you see this, uh, another script that can be used with fail-to-ban to ping a Slack channel when a ban or an unban happens. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and so this is a good point. Um, I did a little looking... Currently, DigitalOcean's firewall in particular doesn't really work well with this just because it's it's more for services and not necessarily for hosts. Uh, but Fail2Ban does provide several mechanisms to, to run hooks, basically, right? You can execute third-party scripts after an action has been taken, either, you know, block, unblock, whatever. So if you do have an API you want to integrate with and have a little scripting ability, really, sky's the limit. Cool. All right. Well, Mr. S writes in, says he's been a longtime listener of the network since Cast of Blasta in Radio Revolver, and that JB is his soundtrack throughout the week. Uh, he has a career in IT. And he says, Wes, he loves the uh, the uh, new format reboot and uh, your, your version of explaining the different bits and uh, having uh, m m much compliments in here for your ability to articulate them. Well, thank in an you, eloquent Mr. manner, as he puts it. Yeah, ah, Mr. What S a gentleman. He likes you. Uh, he says, I've formed a quick how-to on getting PFSense to run on a DigitalOcean droplet. How about that? That's awesome. He says, I find it very useful and thought this would go along nicely with the $100 uh, promo code that you guys have. Uh, which is do.co slash snap. And uh, we'll have a link in the show notes. You have to go to click to his paste bin, but uh, he's got it up on his blog. Uh, I'm currently finalizing a similar post on getting FreeNAS to run on a droplet, which can make really great for remote live backup machines for a local NAS or maybe even a main storage device with the fancy DO infrastructure. Once it's done, I'll send it over the best Mr. S. Now, I think Mr. S has written before, but I emailed him back and asked him because we have other people that write in with just single letters. So I don't know if it's the same. It'd be hard to keep track of. We've also got a Mr. A and a Mr. L. So who knows? But thank you, Mr. S, for writing into the show. You can uh, send your questions, your follow-up, your feedback, or something cool you're working on to techsnap.systems slash contact. This is some great feedback in general, but 
I think it ties in what we were just talking about. Maybe you are running, you know, a big DigitalOcean cluster. PFSense seems like it'd be a great fit, especially with some of those private networking features. And I noticed, I don't know how up-to-date it is, but there have been efforts to tie fail to ban in with PFSense. So maybe combining a couple of these feedback Mm -hmm. items can solve your problems. I mean, even just being able to use DigitalOcean to experiment with this stuff, to try FreeNAS, I kind of love the idea of playing around with FreeNAS as an offsite backup to our on-site FreeNAS, even if it was just certain portions of it. You know, can, yeah, exactly. God. Especially useful when you can use the same the same stuff at home and in the cloud. Yeah, that is a great tip. So thank you, Mr. S. We'd love to get your feedback, your questions, your comments. Where do they go, Wes? Where do they go? Techsnap.systems/contact. TechSnap.ting.com, a smarter way to do mobile. Go to TechSnap.ting.com to get a $25 credit if you bring a device or $25 off your first Ting device. The average Ting bill is just $23 per phone per month. It's $6 for the line and then just your usage on top of that. Well, you're clever, so think about this. With Ting's a la carte approach to pricing, you can use free and freely available services to meet all of your smartphone needs without ever paying for a voice minute or a text message. I know it because I do it every single month. Three lines and I'm usually paying around 40-ish bucks a month. Techsnap.ting.com. It's a better way to do mobile with no contracts, no early termination fees, and nationwide coverage. You're in control all the time. You can check your usage, set alerts, turn individual services on or off, and they have world-class customer service. With a CDMA and GSM network, there's a ton of devices you can bring and lots of devices to choose from. Techsnap.ting.com. Now for a bit of deep dive follow-up, we're going to do a tech snap checkup. Being episode 360, we wanted to just kind of do a little look around the show, a post-launch follow-up. And we have some data now that we've been running for a few weeks. And the data shows that the In the Garage working on the FreeNAS episodes have been less popular. Less popular amongst the audience. Our sense has been, though, that it's kind of a good way to change things up in the show on occasion. Break it up, yeah. So we wanted your thoughts, again, with the contact page, because we don't really know what to do. The data would suggest that maybe we stick to news and discussion and breakdowns, but I also feel like there is some value in going out there from time to time and uh, kind of learning about how we what we're doing with our infrastructure. So I don't know. And we're still, I think, definitely interested in exploring different yeah. elements of, of what can't go in this show. Yeah, yeah, and and maybe some things just don't fit, and that's fine, too. So let us know your thoughts on that. Uh, I also wanted to put the word out that we are in the early stages of planning a live episode at Linux Fest Northwest 2018 on April 28th. It's likely going to be our only live tech snap of the year. So if you can make it, or we'll probably be streaming it, well, we will be streaming it on the live stream, I'm sure. Uh but boy, that, if you if you were looking for an excuse to attend, attend Linux Fest Northwest 2018 and you enjoy the TechSnap program, we'd love to see you there. Also been loving all of the emails, uh, people saying that they're liking the reboot, people rediscovering the shows, what's yeah. really happening. That's great to see. Uh, we could really use your help if you're enthusiastic about the reboot, spreading the word to maybe your sysadmin friends or coworkers, people that could use a show that's a good resource for the industry they work in. That would be super, the number one valuable thing you could do for us is help us spread the word and regrow the show. Um, And then also, obviously, reviews in iTunes, Stars and Overcast or whatever your favorite podcast directory is. That really helps because not only does it, um, you know, uh, give people like an idea as the show even listened to, but it kind of juices the algorithms there. 
So it, it kind of helps discoverability because it might move it up in the search results or things like that. Exactly. S same with retweets, retweets and, and likes. Um, that seems like a small thing, but same thing there. It, it, one or two retweets has a big impact because it, those are the things that a lot of uh, automatic services that monitor social media that look for news stories and links. When they start seeing something get a couple of likes or a couple of retweets or even more, it moves them up on these algorithms. It moves them up on these lists. It's, it's a whole system. It's a whole system. And just a few of you out there helping us with reviews and retweets, uh, stars in your podcast player, whatever it is, uh, actually do help quite a bit with discoverability. And if, if uh, a few of you just did it, even for a couple of weeks, it'd probably help us reach a, a decent amount of new people. So we'd always appreciate that. And any ideas of things you'd like to see us cover in the future? That'd yeah, be especially if you're learning some new topics, or maybe you've really liked some of our past deep dives, things like our container coverage, and there's another topic you'd like to see the text snap version of we'd love to hear about it yeah absolutely we've mentioned it before but again it's just techsnap.system slash contact you can subscribe in your favorite podcast catcher by just plugging in our rss feed directly it's techsnap.system slash rss and if you go to our website we have links to everything that we've talked about there we have links for all the different podcast directories there as well so it's easy to get the show every single week easy to click on anything we've talked about and you can follow mr wes on twitter you are at west Payne. you can follow me i'm at chris les the network is at jupiter signal thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of TechSnap. we'll see you next week mm -hmm.